0: Chao, What's a shot.
1: Disastrous Arsenal performance sends overworked podcasters back into action. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I'm sorry you have to listen to me so soon after you just listened to the whole crew put out a fantastic podcast literally a day ago. But uh, you may remember during that podcast we claimed that the Ostrasoons match would be a non-event. I said that I uh, had zero worry on a scale of one to ten, and of course we went and lost and only had ourselves at halftime looking at possibly going out, so now we have to do another podcast, and the man who had the foresight to rank it a four out of ten is the man who is here to take all the accolades, and that is Clive. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Hello, genius.
2: Hello, hello. You you had it right. Four out of ten. Now, to be fair, here's what's
1: funny, right? You said we have to see how they look after the first five minutes. Do you remember what I said in response to that?
2: I can't remember, but I want to hear it now.
1: I said, "Sure, could we be two goals down after 20 minutes or something like that?" So oh, wow. between the two of us, we really sussed it out. Um, so we'll have Scott along uh, in a little bit just to give us statistically a breakdown of what, again, I think from a, a optical viewpoint was a calamity. Clive, the first thing I just want to do here really quickly is, it's funny how social media can can uh, come back to haunt you. So Arsenal posted a lot of cutesy videos this week of the manager having fun with his team and training, um, you know, yeah. punching his players and tackling them and getting, you know, nutmegged and stuff. It was all so fun and cute. And then this happens. So in retrospect, like, you know, the manager said, we prepared the right way. We worked the right way. I'm not, I'm not trying to put too much emphasis into a silly little social media video, but would you say that in retrospect, that, that approach to the, um, pre-match buildup might have been a, a mistake? Uh,
2: maybe uh, i think the whole i think the whole approach and we have sometimes you just got to think right the whole approach I, I try the not to was <laughs> the whole approach to the game was this is over what's the score going to be Is it going to be five six Is it going to be eight nil but wherever it's going to be on aggregate and that can't help but seep into players minds right and um i always say first five minutes have a look see how we look and the team he picked, oh, I, I looked at it I thought, he hasn't quite gone young and he hasn't quite gone experienced. So he's in his halfway house where players are going to wonder. You've got some saving their legs for the game three days later. And he got some thinking, well, I'm not playing. So how motivated are they? And there would, normally you see one or two that are busting their gut to try to get into a cup final team. I I could spot maybe one for 45 minutes, and and that was it. And I just thought there were so many errors in selection, formation, motivation, um, how we made changes. Yeah, we just got it wrong. We got it wrong.
1: Well, well, so there's a couple of things to unpack here in terms of how we got it wrong. And I, I think you touched on something really interesting there, Clive, just the point of you didn't see anyone busting a gut to try to get into the cup final team. And I I do think that part of the problem with Arsene Wenger over the past few seasons is everyone knows his team now, right? The players that are in the first team that maybe don't deserve it keep getting picked. The players that are on the fringes that maybe should be forcing their way in don't get picked. And so there is no sensation that if I go out and light it up against Ostersunds, I might get into the side. You might remember last year in the FA Cup, our second team destroyed Southampton's second team, and there were some really bright performances there but it had no bearing on the manager selection thereafter. everyone got dropped and everyone got restored. And that kind of eliminates that incentive to, to think if I put in a real performance here, it's going to impact my future at the club or my immediate future. But one player whose immediate future is probably having to have both feet or legs amputated from overuse is Hector Bellerin just really quickly. I realize in hindsight, we may have needed more experience, not less, but at some point Hector Bellerin has to get some rest. Were you shocked that he started this game?
2: massively shocked and he played the game trying to jog through the game trying not to overstress himself at the start you could see that and then he thought then in the end he had to get going and he He was was probably just thinking
1: up some sick burns for arsenal fan tv but yeah keep going
2: (laughs) yeah he had to to start running off the ball he had to start doing something because if he didn't there was no penetration coming i mean colisean well he was much better in the second half and we we start to see wide aggressive runners in, in wide areas, and when I see that, we look better, right? So we really are lacking wide men with real speed and devil who can handle a big space. We've got one or two maximum one on the right side, and one or two on the left side, and and that's it. And so we have no options, and we have to play him. And I just felt he got it wrong. He needed to. He just needed to maybe. Again, pick a formation where more people are more comfortable. I know I keep saying it. You guys must be bored of me, but so just bored. play a back so three. <laughs> that's why I, back that's three. why I forced you to do a podcast with me today. <laughs> play a back three. Reese Nelson could play right wing back. Then yeah. you can you, you get another player who's desperate to play. He's a, he's a kid that's not signed his contract, by the way. So what have we done? We've totally pissed him off. We give him 20 seconds at the end. He could have played right wing back. Coliseum played... Um, played a left wing left back. Set, left we back or, yeah, we could have dropped a left wing back. We could have dropped El Nenny into a back three. Oh, and I then see. you could you can hide the kids in centre midfield. Do you see what I mean? Oh of course. You can you can hide them in there and you can say Jack, you be the brain in there, you got some legs around you and you got Iwobi in there for experience. Yeah you, you make a time for experience and you just load that area, keep the ball Kids are next to each other and you go from there. Wide areas are full of people with fresh legs. That's what you need in wide areas. Not people on, on their fifty thousandth game. You just need fresh legs in those areas. and then and we go from there and but we didn't. We went back to the four three three. We had El Nenny running everywhere but not being where the ball is should be. Is it
1: the four three three or is it that sort of weird four one four one that he suddenly seemed to fall in love with with El Neni playing between two banks of four?
2: Well, he wasn't playing between two banks before, Fair and right. that was the okay. issue. He, I think, what he did, and we, we, we have a little. Let's have a talk about a couple of things, right? So, El Nenny, what, what is he at the moment? So, yesterday Egyptian? he decided, yeah, he decided he was going to be a, a, an Aaron Ramsey mimic, so running everywhere, right? So, well, Aaron Ramsey might run everywhere, and I don't always like it, but I will tell you what, when he runs into the box, something might happen. So there's nothing going to happen when anyone's in the box. So what's he doing that for? He left Ainsley Maitland-Niles completely. And maybe that was his role, but I couldn't quite spot it to be the one who was the deepest. And so, again, I think we're misreading Maitland-Niles. I'm going to say it now. We all want him to be Gilberto, but I think he's more Vieira. I think he's much more progressive and that, that's what eventually is going to be and the reason why I say that is I don't think he smells danger. He's somebody who can recover danger with speed, but the higher you go up with adults, if you recover from goal side, you are going to make fouls. They will get you fouled. They will get yellow carded. That's exactly what happened to him. Recovery speed works at youth football. It does not work at man football. Continuously in the center of the pitch. You have to be brainy, smart, proactive. And Look at Busquets.
1: Look at Busquets, the perfect modern exponent of a defensive midfielder. And, you know, not a, not a lick of pace on him.
2: Stand still. Yes. Just stand still, let the game come to you, read the game, spin your shoulders, spin your head on your shoulders, what's around you. As the ball comes, as quick pass, ball comes to you, have you got a picture? Pop round the corner, there it goes, we're off. We're off. And uh, and and. Mainland niles physically, he answers all our questions, because we know what we haven't got. But as a player, and psychology and player profile... I think he's not that player yet. You have to be wiser, older. So uh, his development needs to be in big spaces... He needs to be in. It would have been a great choice at right back, or he needs to be given a big space to run around in without structural structural responsibility. Give that to the more experienced guy that understands the movements of the game. Give that to El Nenny. But no, El Nenny was running around like an idiot. Maitland Niles was standing still, not doing his job. But he, but he also. And, would,
1: but he switched off too, Clive. I mean, I I, I hate to stick the boot into Maitland Niles, and I worry for him for where it's going now because I don't know if it's arrogance where he thought this was too he was too big for this or fear and the fear comes across as arrogance but he switched off and, and so he didn't have a great game and yep. sometimes that'll happen to you but there were situations where he let his man run by him where he wasn't aware of the danger or he'd let his head drop and he would take a minute to I mean play amateur psychologist for me a minute there what's going
2: on so you you've nailed it right so you, this is when people when you watch a player always watch what he does well easily and instantly the first time you see him and then watch what he doesn't do well and what he finds more difficult and what errors he repeats and that normally tells you what he is so what did he do well in the game so he did, he had, he did a couple of tackles because he, he's a good tackler he stands up well never goes to the ground then but what he did well he had one little move where he, he got the ball in a tight area he drove out beat a man and whipped it out to the right hand side it looked so easy didn't it so easy That tells me he's more progressive. He has got strides on him. He can I think he lacks the personality to take over a game like a number eight. So that's fine. He's twenty years of age. How many twenty year twenty year olds are in the centre midfields in top six clubs? I can't think of hardly any. The closest is a big lump called Eric Dyer playing for Spurs, right? He's the only one. How old is Naby Keita? uh not too sure probably Maybe, close, about probably. 22 22 yeah. something like that, 22 23 and um and he's um a 50 million pound player right yeah. so there isn't many playing in the top six of that age could it needs a level of experience and a level of nous or a special technique or physicality physically he's got all the answers Technically, he's got a lot of answers, but what he hasn't got is top-level experience to allow him to manage the intensity of and the pressure of playing for Arsenal yet. But that's okay. And I've always felt his best development would be to be the backup right-back to Hector Bellerin. And if that takes a year and a half, I was always fine with that. And, and have a few minutes in easy games in centre midfield to, to build up your experience. So eventually you can be that player. It's important we get him right Or or we could lose him, and it's quite sad to see him go off yesterday. And now he's got a question mark against him when really he's been one of the bright sparks of the season. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, so here's a question then. I mean, I guess one thing we should just ask is is what next for Maitland-Niles, and this is a worry for for player development at Arsenal right now because the manager decides it's his time to start stepping into a midfield role, and he throws up a performance like this where he's taken off at halftime. And now what? I mean, the manager surely can't trust putting him in the central midfield anytime soon. And does he go I back think to being...
2: I think it's really, did you Do you remember anything desperately bad that he did?
1: I mean, it, it looked like the occasion got to him. A little bit to me. I mean, mm, it looked maybe. like he was doing that thing some young players do where their head goes down, they they start to not trust themselves. You know, he didn't give the ball away that much. That was happening yeah. everywhere else. Mkhitaryan was giving the ball away left, right, and center. I thought Jack Wilshire had his worst performance since he was sort of restored to the squad and has and had this resurgence and we'll, we'll come on to him in a bit. But I, I just felt that from a body language standpoint, and I know it's dangerous to read that, but also what he did without the ball struck me as, as he froze. I think he froze, and especially as the game started to get away from us I think you could see yeah. that he was he was a little overawed by the situation. We needed someone who could put their foot on the ball in midfield and give us some control, and he like did well. Yeah, and Jack wasn't doing it particularly. Uh, and so listen, uh, he listen, was playing too far forward. Now? You want to do the oh, ten okay. versus deeper
2: well, midfield thing? Okay. Well, well, there you go. You've nailed it. You don't need you don't even need me, mate. All right. Well, Jack that's been Clive. Well, you can find him on t- <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're absolutely right. He was playing too far forward, and, and he was having to make channel runs. I mean, Jack's many things, but he's not a runner at big distances. He's not a support striker, and that's where he was being played. Exactly, and in the end, he made so many sprints forward without getting the ball, he absolutely knackered himself. He was dead on his feet. After a half hour, So why don't you just, like, you know, if you're a manager, you're thinking, okay, I'm not sure what I'm going to get. But between El Nenny and Jack wilshire I'm going to get some brains at the base of my team. I'm going to get some metronomic continuity, tip-tap pass, they know where to stand. And you know what? I've got a young kid. I want him to have time in centre midfield. Don't worry about it. You just go where you feel it. You just go make the nails. Go and feel the game. You've got big legs on you. If you see something, you see a chance to get forward. Get forward. Just enjoy playing the center of that pitch. Be aggressive. When we, ha- when we haven't got the ball, and when we have got the ball, be aggressive going forward, and you've got your two experienced guys behind you that are going to look after you. No, what do we do? We put Mate and nazel in front of the back four, where he's most least experienced. we got El Neni down doing a Ramsey impression, and we've got Jack running the channels. I mean, how wrong can you get it? Pretty wrong <laughs>
1: from the looks of things. I mean, well, I, I want to finish up on players that maybe deserve some some... Criticism because I want to get to the manager and what I perceive to be the really, really worrying thing about this game besides everything. And by the way, we'll put into context. Look, at full time, we progressed um, by a two goal margin through a knockout round of European competition. I mean, it's not the end of the world, but you know, Mesut makes more in a fortnight than their squad makes in a year. And I, I think we have to not write them off as, as part timers and any of the stuff I said about them last podcast, which is probably a disrespect, but also put in a perspective that we should be swatting aside teams like this, especially at home after we've taken a three nil lead. And I understand also sort of a score effects idea, which is you think you're above it. You think you're too good for it. And once you're back in the wars, it, it can happen before you know what's going on. But, So there were problems at both ends. Let's take the the pointy end first, and that's Danny Welbeck. We have uh, Aubameyang. He can't play in this competition. We have Lacazette, who's injured, and we have Danny Welbeck. And those are the strikers at the club, unless you want to go down to Enketiah, who I guess is knocking on the door. Danny Welbeck, for me, looks physically and psychologically shot in a couple of ways. Now, I don't want to say that he was ever Thierry Henry, because he wasn't, but... His runs used to be a little more intelligent. He used to cause problems. He he used to use his physicality and his burst to create issues. What I see now is a guy who makes runs from the center into the channels with his body shape such that when he receives the ball, he can neither shoot nor deliver the ball to another runner or another teammate. He, he puts himself in positions where he just totally neutralizes the danger for the defender on his own. Um, yeah. I, I am really, really concerned because Danny Welbeck is essentially the number two striker at the club while Lacazette is is not fit and number one in this competition is it time to start and i I know the manager made some comments about welbeck's two terrible knee injuries and needing to stick with him and seeing things in training that that excite him but even taking the physical side away from it the way he plays the way his runs sort of snuff out danger instead of creating danger are you worried that we may have a real problem being able to rely on danny welbeck
2: uh we got a problem relying on him as a main center forward I still think he's a a good second forward. Um I like the problems he causes even though they're unstructured and I don't know where they're coming. But um, I've always liked him on that left-hand side because I think he's energetic, I think he causes problems for people. I think he moves people around. I think um I don't I don't want to give up on him. He he's our player, right? He's our player. And we need to we need to back him because we're gonna we're gonna need some minutes from him. You know, he Lack of can't be the there. number
1: nine with the responsibility to score the goals and lead the line though, right? I mean he
2: does not have that in him. No, he, he doesn't. And when when he was that player, he had a goal scoring Sanchez behind him. So his responsibility was pressing, stretching, and creating space for Urza and Sanchez. And it worked. But they're the ones with the with the technique the assuredness on the ball with the execution ability and the goals, right? So Welbeck, if he scores nine goals a season, that's enough. But he's got to cause problems to defenders to create issues for them, to create moments when the other two can benefit. When he's the main centre forward, we're now looking at him and saying, well, now you've got to do it on your own. I don't think he's ever been that player. He's never had the responsibility of leading a line, for a top team for more than one or two games in a row without without the support behind him. So we've given him behind him, Mkhitaryan and Jack Wilshire. That's not really a lot of goals there, really, historically. Well, we don't know about Mkhitaryan yet, but that's not a lot of goals. There's a huge responsibility and expectation on Welbeck. And let's be honest, I think he's, he's falling, he's crumbling under that weight of expectation at the moment. He looks like he's a little bit much um, psychologically and physically we don't know where he is. And so we you put the two and two together, and we get what we got last night. It, yeah, it, it's it's not great, right?
1: Well, I think last night really lifted the lid a little bit on on this squad depth and where we've left ourselves. I mean, I understand that some of the business we did had to be done. Theo Giroud, Um, you know, I, I totally understand why we did it. the Alexis for Mkhitaryan thing. I'm not sure I can understand entirely why we sold Gabrielle, and this is the next thing. I mean, you got five center backs, five legitimate center backs at the club. I don't think you can count Elneny. I don't think you can count Coliseon or Monreal. They're not center backs. So especially in a back four, you have Koscielny, who is a star, an aging star, who's on the decline probably and has Achilles problems. You have Sacker yeah. who's retired. You have Mustafi, who has real quality in him, but calamity in him as well. But I guess you'd say in Koscielny and Mustafi, you have a pairing you just about would trust, sort of. And then you have Chambers and Holdings? Uh, holdings? Well, I'll tell you what they're not holdings is any anyone from, from getting in on our goal. I mean, these two playing with a senior player like a Koscielny sometimes look functional. Playing together, it wasn't even close. Are you concerned that we defensively are going to be a tire fired because of the personnel issues at center back?
2: Right. So here we go. Right. So the other day we had a great chat, didn't we, about fandom. We had a great chat about being respectful, not abusing players. And then last night I nearly lost it, right? <laughs> Watching this, last, I nearly lost it. And um, and I am concerned about a number of players at the club that hide behind other players. So Chambers and Holding, when given the responsibility, they're not ready at the moment to deal with it in the two. They're back three players. They need a Mustafi or Koscielny to get them through. We've got we've got someone like Welbeck. Really, he's not ready to. To take the responsibility of leading Arsenal's line. He needs a Sanchez, he needs a, a Bamiyang, he needs a Lacazette who can hold the burden so he can then flourish. We've got Lacazette that people have doubts about, but I think I, I think his doubts will go away. And we need to stick with him. A Bamiyang, no doubts. Leader. Ozil, no doubts, although he has moments where he disappears, but he's a leader. We have a number of players, there won't be another one, when the responsibility is put on them, they don't deliver. So they're sitting behind the skirts of the team leaders and they're Arsenal footballers. But when the responsibility and expectation falls on their shoulders, you look at their quality and it stares you in the face. They can't do it. They can do it when a lot of the first teamers are around, but they can, they can be a support striker, they can be a support actor. But when it comes to leading the play... You are the star actor of the show. What have you got? What have you got? And I'll tell you now, I, I, without being overly critical on any singular player, we all watched the game. We know what we saw. How many times did Iwobi give the ball away? Did you have any, any expectation when he was running forward that something good was going to happen? Well, I didn't. Right? No. He just he just didn't have it.
1: Well, right? you, well you know what but, worries me with Iwobi, and I'll let, I'll let you get back on this in just a second, is this is a pretty regular Starter for Arsenal now. I mean, we can't be calling a Wobee just a young player trying to break into the team forever when he's getting regular first team action. I mean, he is a starter most days for Arsenal right now. And I cannot think of a game, I cannot think of any game that he's grabbed by the scruff of the neck where he's flashed some flair and excitement in the attacking half. And this is a guy who's been playing as a forward, one of the two behind the striker a lot, or as a more advanced midfielder or even a winger. Even Oxlade-Chamberlain, as much as I did not care for him, had games where he flashed that insane threat and ability and you thought, there's a player in there. Awobi does things, I get it, that are, take a little more culture to see. Maybe maybe carrying the ball through the midfield out of pressure sometimes or you know, being a little more calm on the ball, having a dribble. But he does not give you the, the kind of attacking flair that you'd expect from a player who has become a regular in the first team. And on a, on a night like this against far inferior opposition. This is a night you'd like to see Iwobi step up, get yep. more aggressive in the attacking half, take more responsibility, and really trust his quality to be too much for them. And he did the opposite. He gave the ball away. He was sloppy. He didn't look switched on in their first goal. He was caught napping, as several of the others were. That's my problem, Clive. It's like, this is a game where Wobey should be like, this is my chance for, for the Emirates, quote-unquote, crowd, to to really see yeah. what I've got. And, and he, he went missing.
2: Yeah, we got lots like it, right? We got lots, what I call, we got lots of people happy to play for Arsenal, but don't want to be Arsenal footballers and don't want to accept the expectation and responsibility and the pressure to, and to show your quality when it really, really counts. So this was the moment for Awobi. Awobi, this was the moment for Welbeck. This was the moment for Holding and Chambers. And with with holding, strange enough with holding, I see someone fighting to grab the chance. The execution's not coming off, but I see something in him. With chambers I see somebody who's absolutely petrified of the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Who's given up. He doesn't want it anymore. This is not what I wanted. I'm not sure it was a great idea. He was when interviewed came this in week me.
1: saying I need to play more, by the way too. So this isn't yeah, how you he, back up those statements.
2: <laughs> he needs to play more, but it's not with us. We need to loan him for a one, two years. Give him a chance to build a career. There is no problem with this, by the way. There is in football. You don't fail. You just reach your level. And the important we don't have any centre
1: backs though. We sold Gabriel. That's the thing. We can't afford to let Chambers go out.
2: (laughs) We we, we need to let him go out next year, and we need to buy two centre backs because he's not of the right standard. He's not of the right side. And I, I, this is not personal, and there's no issues. He is right there. He's played for England. He's had a great under twenty one career, and all the rest of it. But he is not going to hold Arsenal together in a back two, in a back in a back four. Sorry, in a two man central defence. We all know it. You're, we're not idiots that listen to his podcast or are on it. Tell well, me what your eyes your are seeing. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what are your eyes are He's got no lower body power. When people move him around, he can't move with them. His ability to pass the ball is now going because he's lost confidence. He's got no speed over 5 yards, 10 yards, 15 yards. In the air, he's okay when he's ultra-aggressive. Uh, he is not the player to hold the back line. And when if he gets anything, nervous, he gives the ball
1: away like crazy. I mean, his passing from, from central defense... Is such a liability when he when he's nervous. I mean, he, we saw that game all the all those months ago against Liverpool. That first half where it kept going to a Liverpool player. I mean, he he puts us in under mm. more
2: pressure than he saves us. Yeah, he, he just lacks a. I, I, I tell you now, I've, I've said it for a while now. I I think he's a he's closer to Eric Dyer than than anything and eric Dyer is 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 quite an average center back but what they do they use his ability to sense danger and and just provide a platform for other people and they put him in front of the back four and every tackle he makes is okay and every tackle he misses there's two other people behind him do you see what i mean so the pressure of being that man is not he he doesn't deal with it very well. Eric Dyer played centre half for Spurs against Arsenal in the in the home game. He looked terrible. He was one of the main reasons Spurs lost. We moved him around. He couldn't handle it. Um Davison Sanchez had to work really hard. He was everywhere. And basically he's not very good in the back line. He's but they recognize his weaknesses and for their system, where they like to have full backs that go high, they say, OK, mate, we're going to go back four. You sit here. When our, our centre-half split, you drop in the middle. So basically, Chambers could be a, a more defensive Nenny in that hybrid sweeper role that we sort of developed for, for a short period. If you want to get a player, you've got to say, well, OK, you're not very quick. You have got aggression and you can pass the ball. You have got good technical training from Southampton. If we do play a back four with a sort of rush sweeper to, on any role, it could be Callum Chambers. But then we have to build around him. If we're not going to do that, let the kid go out and play football somewhere else. Yeah, Let him go and play at, a, at another club where he's under less of a spotlight where he can develop his career. He doesn't get abused by us Arsenal fans, or even the quiet ones, quiet abusing, who just don't think he's at the right standard. It's not his fault. He needs time to play. He's at Middlesbrough last year. He did quite well. That's Championship standard. He comes to Arsenal, injured, not got off the season to a good situation, back three formation to start with, does okay, into a back four, rabbit in the headlights. He's got a decision to make. What am I going to be? I need to go and play. I need to go and play for somebody who understands my strengths and weaknesses and is going to put me in a team and trust me so I can build my confidence. And that's what he needs.
1: Yeah, and look, I hate killing the kids. I hate killing kids in general, but killing our kids in particular. And I hate doing it, but you have to evaluate them with the opportunities they're given. I don't want to write Ostersunds off as some joke of a club, but – you should be able to play your younger squad players at home in a game where you won the away leg three nil and yeah. holding and chambers and Maitland Niles and a This is a game they should be approaching with the idea that I'm going to let what little of a home crowd there is, see my quality and they didn't. And you know, you, you worry about the position they're being put in because holding gets absolutely roasted for the second goal, which by the way, was a really good goal. Um, the first goal, Chambers, is, is found totally wanting. Maitland-Niles has to get hauled off at halftime. Wobi put in a 2 out of 10 performance. And this is how you destroy young kids' careers. This is a performance and a match that will stay with them and stay with them in the mind of the manager. And we are going to discuss the manager, I assure you, because uh, I have, as you might imagine, a word or two to say about him. I think it's ironic that Kolasinac scored our only goal because... He is a disaster defensively. He is a guy who looks like he would be at home being a left winger, but not a left fullback. Uh, He's a a wingback. Yeah, yeah, all right, maybe that's it. But, I mean, no defensive ability, and he looks slower running in defense than he does in attack. It is six straight home losses in knockout ties in Europe for Arsenal. Six straight. The seventh was a win. 3-0 over AC Milan in a tie where we got knocked out. So it's seven straight eliminations with six straight home losses, including to Ostertouns, including to Monaco. There are, of course, some Bayerns and Barces thrown in there. Let's yeah. do this. Let's let Scott give us the stats that back up the players we've been killing, the performances they put in. We'll come back. We will give uh, the manager his fair due and then talk really briefly about the AC Milan draw. So we'll be back in a second. <laughs> As ever, it is always helpful to find out what the spreadsheet thought of the players that were a disgrace. So Scott is here to do that. You can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore Crab. And find his great work at CrabStats.blogspot.com and TheShortFuse.com. Hello, Scott. Hello. So first things first, overall on XG, uh, I think we actually out-XG'd them, didn't we?
3: We did end up um, out xg them in the end, um, and most of that came in the second half when um, Granit Jaka came in and really kind of settled down Arsenal's performance. A, sen- yeah, so the- a sentence
1: no one thought you would ever utter, but yeah. <laughs> 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 so how did it come out?
3: Uh, so overall, it was 1.5 to uh, 0.8. Um, and then at halftime before, you know, Granite Xhaka came in, it was 0.6 for Arsenal and 0.78 for Ostersen. So, so Ostersen's so really only added a, a little bit more in the second half.
1: Yeah, they, they were on top of us for that first half, and then we got a little bit of control of it. And once we got the goal, I think the game, I don't want to say petered out, but did a little bit. So then... To my eyes, the real problem in this game was sloppiness. Uh, Jack Wilshire had a stinker. Mkhitaryan gave the ball away a lot. So, dealer's choice. Which terrible performance do you want to highlight first?
3: Uh, well, we can kind of, you know, kind of highlight the, the total as a team. Um, so, I was pulling this because I, you know, did a, a, a kind of a mailbag thing earlier today, and someone was actually talking about what, where did this rank on our, our ball retention. Um, and this actually was, if we looked at just the comparing this to the league, um, our, nar- our ninth worst ball. Uh, retention performance of the of the season um they gave the ball away 19 percent of the time they had a touch um so really really not good especially when what what would be
1: what would be like an average in in that respect like what since i have no idea what the 19 percent means in context like for me like what's what would be a just fine performance in terms of ball retention
3: yeah so looking at the the averages for the season it seems to be about uh 14%, 15% 14 15% of the time Arsenal would give the ball away. So this was worse than average, but not but, one of the absolute worst performances. But still about,
1: you know, 20 30% worse than we usually do.
3: Exactly. And then you also consider the the prefer, you know, the, the level of the team we're playing
1: Great point. And, and at home. that yep.
3: really makes things um, you know, seem even worse. So great, great yeah, point.
1: This, yep. So it was terrible. Um sorry, I'm stepping all over you here. So so then how about individually? I mean, who was the the biggest contributor to our profligacy
3: uh oh, mkhitaryan by far was was the worst he really filled into that alexis role of giving the ball over over and over again um but worse than what alexis used to do is he used to actually you know come up with something to kind of redeem himself and mkhitaryan really didn't have one of those things to, to redeem himself he gave the ball away 47 percent of his on his 47 percent of his touches so really really bad wow. um and he, you know, the other things, you know, zero slots, um, two chances created, but none of those came from open play. So both of them um, were, one of them was from a corner and one of them was from a, a set play. So really neither of those are great chances that he created. Um, 0 for 3 in take-ons. Uh, didn't really get well in passing into the box, just five of 12 on those oh. passes where you really expect him to, to excel, especially against a team of Ostersund's quality. And it was just, yeah, not the best night for Arsenal's new guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's scary because you think about how Östersund came out of the gate in Sweden and they were just so scared of us and they gave us a few goals and you wonder if they had played with this level of confidence from the start away, what the outcome of this time might have been. But it sounds like, you know, Mikatarian who was supposed to improve us by virtue of ball security and and being cleaner with the ball, tidier on the ball versus Alexis. That definitely did not happen on Thursday. As far as Jack Wilshere, I th- I thought this was a nadir of his return to Arsenal this season and it was a performance that went from bad to basically just invisible and I think you mentioned that the statistics sort of bear that out.
3: Yeah, so this one so Arsenal really depend on their number 10 Um, to really connect play between the, the midfield third and the final third. And Jack Wilshire really did not fill that role at all. Um. So you can, this really shows that he cannot be an Ozil replacement by any stretch of the imagination. So one of the things that I always look at with Mesut Ozil is how he connects the, final third, the middle third to the final third with his um, final third entry passing. Um, and Jack Wilshire only attempted two final third entries and completed just one. Um, the other thing that w- was really surprising is he had just 31 touches um, of Arsenal's um, almost 700 of the day. So he was really, really not involved. Um, he did, you know, create two shots and had two shots for himself. So he did do a decent, I guess, in his overall offense. Creation, yeah. um, in his, you know, getting the chances for his few shots or for his few touches. Um, but other than that, his game was just really, really just. I don't, Nothing there. I don't know if you have heat maps in front of you, but
1: I would postulate that potentially the reason he wasn't the connective tissue between midfield and the final third is that he was playing so far advanced. Do you think the role itself may, may be a culprit in the sense that he was almost like a support striker and he wasn't delivering the ball into the final third because he was receiving it in the final
3: third? But see, yeah, he didn't even really receive the ball very often. Oh, so I'm great. not sure if it was. So there was if that theory. <laughs> yeah, because just the 31 touches. So he just was not involved at all. So yep. it could have been that he was asked to play further forward. But then the service to him wasn't great. It, it's yeah, there, there was really nobody that really connected Arsenal today. So, so the role he was the,
1: playing for whether his fault or setup fault, he never really came to grips with how to play it.
3: Exactly. So maybe it was Mkhitaryan who was supposed to connect things and, you know, he had a stinker of a game and that just causes everybody else to look even worse. Or, yeah, who knows? There's so many things that went wrong in this match. But, yeah. you know, luckily Arsenal stumbled their way through to the next round.
1: Let's come on to a Iwobi because he's a player I thought performed poorly, but you at least had a contrarian view of that. So, which I always like. I, I like when there's redeeming things that maybe my eye missed because I'm a cynical bastard. So how do Iwobi look to you on your magical spreadsheet?
3: Yeah, so I mean, you know, on a night when nobody looked good, I thought Awobi was the, the least bad of all of the players. Um, Actually, I will uh, sh- shout out to Granit Xhaka, who really probably was the best player overall in the night, even though he only played 45 minutes. His, you know, just came in and kind of solidified the match and kind of gave Arsenal a little bit of presence when they didn't have any to begin with and were running around all helter-skelter. Um, in the beginning of the match but going to a will um so i would look at the the offensive value added and he actually led arsenal um on the day um with a, a 0.77 offensive value added um he was the only person to create the a big chance for arsenal that was uh, the danny welbeck header um, on a really nice little chipped cross um he actually um was the, the leading dribbler for arsenal four of nine um on the day he had the, the highest carrying value added so being able to move the ball forward with um dribbles uh, he only he was one of the few players that didn't really kill themselves with being uh losing possession um and he, yeah so i mean do, do, there was a do lot of failed dribbles things.
1: count as a loss of possession so those five dribbles he didn't complete is that did that mean it resulted in in uh the ball going to um the opposition
3: So not always. So a failed dribble can still be recovered by Arsenal. It just means that they didn't beat the man. Um, So it doesn't necessarily mean that the ball was turned over. Mm -hmm. to um the other team so the ball recovery by arsenal is still possible off of a field dribble so they would still maintain possession got it it's yeah one of those weird things but yes
1: yes it's funny right because some of the stats the way they are referred to the nomenclature doesn't always make clear what they're i know for example like tackles or dispossessed they don't always mean exactly what people think they mean um danny welbeck you mentioned him I, i think most people are a little concerned with the trajectory of his arsenal career at this point and it was a a pretty poor performance. Did he do anything of note on the stat sheet?
3: Um, he did get four shots off, and you know they weren't all. You know, had one really good chance on the the Owobi header that was right at the keeper. Um, but a lot of you know he had eight touches in the box and was really only able to get four shots off of those. Uh, one of the things I really noticed early in the match, and that seems to be um, a reoccurring theme, and it, I don't know if it's since he's come back from his injury that he doesn't have the same confidence that he, he used to have, but his runs are always outside into the channels, and he gets the ball, and he's not in a position to do anything dangerous.
1: Yeah, totally So agree. it's his,
3: back, his back's to the goal, or he's moving away from the goal, and it's not really something that he can, you know, turn his man to take a shot, or play a cut back to the middle of the, the goal to where he can, you know, set up a teammate. So it's a lot of though, like, he gets the ball, but can't do anything dangerous. So it's a dangerous position per se, if you look at it on the, the X, Y coordinates, but the way his body is makes it, you know, a, a right. way so, less So if you're dangerous. looking at
1: him as a, as a dot on a map, you might say, Oh, he received it in a dangerous position. But if you look at him as a human being with his back to goal running towards the sideline with, you know, receiving it with a body position that doesn't let him do anything, that's not a dangerous position anymore. Um, and, and I, I think that's a really good spot by you. So then uh, the last thing I want to touch on this match is Maitland-Niles. He got hauled off at halftime. I, I think I didn't see him do anything wrong in the literal on-the-ball sense. I think he looked a little overwhelmed by the occasion. He started to freeze up. He did let his man run by him at times. Did the data pick up on anything he did wrong, or was it sort of more the intangibles?
3: Yeah, I think a lot of it is... I mean, if you looked at his, his passing numbers, they were all fine. Um, there was a lot of things that... It was just, you know, it wasn't a disaster performance on stats. But I think if you looked at it, um, you know, with your eyes, you could just see the intensity or the focus wasn't quite there. A lot right. of times that were wasn't quite, you know, with the speed of the game, um, doing the right things when he needed to do. So, I mean, there's nothing really to, to point out, you know, mm-hmm. in the stats that said that he was bad. But I think if you watched the match, you could definitely see that it wasn't a good one and it was a, a good choice by Arthurson to to bring him off.
1: Yeah, and Sha- Shaka just shored things up a little, which, again, not what we expect. In any event, um, that's enough of, of a match that really just thankfully will be resigned to a footnote since we got through in the tie. But a game that will have a, a critical outcome on Sunday is the Carabao Cup Final and we face the mighty Manchester City so before we let you go does your model have any early warning expectations for what we might be looking at for the cup final
3: uh, i i'm not i'm not optimistic if that's, you know <laughs> an easy way of saying well, things shit
1: there goes the brand scott
3: <laughs> i know normally normally um, i do give um, manchester city about a 70% chance of lifting the trophy on sunday so not so a great one so you're saying there's a chance
1: <laughs> hey look <laughs> there, there, 30% is probably more than i was expecting so <laughs>
3: Yeah, so, I mean, there's a, you know, 55% chance that uh, Manchester City win it in regular time, um, and then 11% in extra time, and, you know, there's that 4% chance that it goes to penalties, which I really should, you know, well, David is going to be in goal, so there, there will actually be a chance that... Um, A penalty could get saved if it goes to penalties. And yet,
1: David Ospina being in goal is all the more reason it may not make it to penalties. So there you (laughs) go. Look, either way, it'll be a good day out. Let's all have a few drinks and celebrate. It's another cup final, and we seem to be getting treated to a lot of these lately. So best not to be uh, ingrates. So, Scott, uh, as always, I appreciate you taking the time out to go through this stuff, and we will really look forward to talking to you after Arsenal lift the cup on Sunday, and we can make fun of your model,
3: point and laugh, and say, (laughs) hey, hey.
1: In any event, Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Thanks, Scott.
3: Thank you. All
1: right. We'll talk to you after the cup final.
3: Sounds good. Okay,
1: so we're back the statistics tell the story again, a lot of sloppy performances. One player, we didn't really talk about Clive and I want to touch on it a little because it comes up in Scott's yeah. statistics. Um, Henrik Mkhitaryan, you know, we swap him, uh, swap Alexis for him. And I realize why we had to do that deal. Look, even if we hadn't made that move, we're losing Alexis for free in the summer. So fine. And Mkhitaryan may still turn out to be a star for us. But I think the thing that a lot of people said about Alexis is he gives the ball away too much. You know, this might be addition by subtraction in a way that getting Mkhitaryan who moves the ball quicker and is is better on the ball could improve us even if he doesn't have the goals and assists that Alexis necessarily have. He might speed up our play and make our play more uh, coherent. Well, he's turning the ball over a ton. He, yep. His passing was horrendous against Ostersunds. I mean, do you have some concern? And I realize like, this is a guy who played irregularly for United who's going to struggle to find some of his best form. But again, on a night like this where you had quite a few young players and there wasn't a huge demand on us in terms of the position of the tie, this is a chance for Mikatarian to sort of guide these other players through it and let his quality shine, and that didn't happen. Did that worry you?
2: Um, not really. i got to be honest with you. I'll tell you why. If you looked at him, he was he was a little bit wide a lot of the time. Um, I would like to have seen him a little bit more more central, you know, and um, and be the one that's charged with um, transition, you know, getting us through the big spaces. Well, we could be talking Jack. about
1: every player Arsenal has bought for ten years about them getting sh- stuck out wide and wishing they played more central. Yeah. I mean, ask Andre Arshavin about that.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. but you know, there was, there was Jack trying to make make those central runs. They were they were fifteen twenty yard runs. That his body's not suited for, but Mikatarian is much more suited to that. And with Mikatarian, I look at him and say, okay, you're not the most consistent. You're a little bit maverick-like, but you've obviously got ability and you've done it at the top level for many years. Champions League, Bundesliga. You got you good enough to be bought from Manchester United, and we wanted to buy you two years ago, so we know you can do it, All right? So we look him. He had a bad game but we know you can do it. We've now got to find the right role for you. If you're anywhere near Ozil and Aubameyang, that, that role's going to be fine. right? So no concerns for me. Um, I've got more concerns about the ones that looked a bit scared. You know, Chambers particularly, I've got more concerns about them. Uh, Mikataran is somebody that I won't rush the judgment on because... He's developing. I mean, look at Alexis Sanchez at Manchester United. They're starting to have concerns about him, right? He's just somebody adapting to the team, right? and um, it doesn't mean he's not talented. It doesn't mean he can't do it. He just means, okay, what's my role within this team? I've been in. I played two or three games, and the teams have massively changed in those games. We've, two of those have been Europa League games. The one time we played a, well, two, the two times we played the first team game, one was Everton. Which was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. The second one was Spurs, where we didn't quite get things right uh, with our approach. It's far too defensive, and I didn't quite get the counter attacks I wanted to get. And I ended up disappearing in the game when Spurs got more intense. I can deal with that. So we've got to find a way to get him into our team. I I honestly believe he's a player that can play deeper, and I think that's where he should end up. We, We need a lot more. Pace and devastation and dribbling skills higher up. We mustn't be obsessed with having too many midfielders, because we become we become too easy to plan for. Because we like to pass to each other, so we have a great passing statistic, mm-hmm. but we don't have enough directness, devastation, dribbling and power. And the players that are providing that right now is Danny Welbeck, and he is not. He's lacking a change of pace. He looks quite gallopy, but he's not. That little burst is gone. Theo's Theo's gone. So the, Theo's always had the athletic movement. So we missed that change of place, that explosion. Oxlade-Chamberlain has gone. So we, another one, wherever you think of him, he's got an um, unbelievable explosion and pace as he goes forward. Speed is one thing, but change in pace and your ability to stop is what makes defenders scared. Running like Danny Welbeck, galloping at one pace, that's not gonna make anyone scared but that's, Except Arsenal fans. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where he is right now physically and we've seen him do better than that haven't we but at the moment he's just he's a half a step slow mm-hmm. lacazette's half a step slower than we suspected so his movement Two is steps more intelligent slower, but, yeah. mm-hmm. but he's more intelligent he's more he's more i see that movement before you have and i'm a yard ahead of you um, By the time you get back to me I, i've had my shot do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. He, he's not. He's not a Bammy. It's raw athleticism, so different types of speed, different types of thing. But we got to add more devastation in our team. And I like to see. You know, I said it before. The interior players, like like um, Mkhitaryan, like Ramsey, like Jack, the players that understand the football when they receive it, it comes in different ways. They can. They've always got a picture to move. I think um, Ramsey may not be in that technical security level, but he's good enough. And then once he pops it, he goes into areas that cause people problems. and I think then somebody is gonna end up being one of our two number eights mm-hmm. in the Man City style. Um, and then we if we if we buy smartly as a wide forward in the summer, I think it the decision will be you know, somebody to play for Bam and Urzel, but somebody very fast, very direct, that attracts people to give speed sorry, to give space for Urzal and Abam yep. to do their thing.
1: All right. Well, I mean, look, that, that's comprehensive on Mkhitaryan. I don't have a lot to add on that other than just that. I think it surprised me to see him be this untidy, and may, and maybe I had the wrong kind of picture in my head, but I think being sold this idea that the reason it would improve us is that we wouldn't have to deal with Alexis's turnovers, and he's doing all that and more. It's It's not ideal, but... Look, I mean, it, it wasn't a good game for anyone, and, and and I think the situation became very difficult very quickly, but we have to get on to the manager, and I, I think he deserves so yeah. much of the credit <laughs> for this performance. He said, we prepared the right way. We just basically didn't execute. He put all the blame on his players in his own sort of uh, erudite, ar, ar, uh, articulate way, as I am inarticulate, but it is worrying, and I can prove to you that he didn't, prepare them in the right way and I I have to go a little mental about this okay we don't know how to manage situations we don't know how to manage situations in games and leading up to games we don't understand how to manage having a three goal away lead in a two-legged tie in Europe if you prepare the right way and you know you're putting out a second string team you say look get your foot on the ball get into your passing game Keep it compact. Stay close to each other. You don't have to go buccaneering up the pitch. If you have a runner, you can find him. But for the most part, let's kill off the first 30 minutes. Get rid of any thought they have in their head that they can do something against us. The will will go out of them, and we can just choke this tie off. We'll get a goal or two. It'll be done. You know what? Get your feet on the ball. Get comfortable in your passing. That's the instruction. That's the instruction. Just don't court danger. And yet, three minutes into the game, we are caught up the pitch with them having numerical advantages running at us. And all game long, and early in the game it started, they had numerical advantages running at our defense. We showed no tactical news, no understanding of the situation, just the sense that we could go have fun and go attack them. And it. we paid for it. And you know, we won this game. Uh, we, we didn't win the game. We won the tie. And yep. in the end... I guess you'd say comfortably. But at 2-0, there were opportunities for them. And at 3-0, we lose that tie. I promise you that. 2-0 was a disaster, an absolute disaster. One goal from extra time. And I, I think I'll sum it up with the way they scored their goal, Clive. Oh, sorry, the way we scored our goal. Yeah. In the moment where we scored our goal, we, we created one of the dumbest situations in the history of football. It's 2-0. So at 2-0 you tell your guys in the in the dressing room. All right guys, 2-0 stinks. Let's get control of this game. Let's not take unnecessary risks. If we lose this game 2-0, we still go through. Now the priority is going through. Let's imagine this is AC Milan and we win in Italy 3-0. And they get two goals in the first half and it's halftime. What would you be saying? You'd be saying keep it tight. Don't give away easy goals. Don't get caught out of position and up the pitch. Keep it tight. Two-nil loss is still good enough. Well, that's what happened against Ulster students, and here's what happens within five minutes of the restart. We get the ball up the pitch. Bellerin gets to the byline, and he crosses it. The cross doesn't find an Arsenal player. It finds their defender. Now, he winds up miskicking it, and Kolasinac scores. If he does not miskick that, let me explain something. There are seven (coughs) Arsenal players ahead of the ball seven arsenal players outfield players within eight yards of their goal with a one goal lead in the tie that means going back the other way they have a four on three advantage numerically all the way up the pitch running at pace against chambers and holding into space if that defender doesn't miss kick the ball and just puts it out 10 yards to his to his midfielder standing in front of him then what then what happens And that is the thing, Clive. I mean, the thing that does my head in is, you know, fine. The the manager can't kick the ball for them. He can't make Danny Welbeck make the right runs. He can't make Iwobi... You know, stay alert and switched on all the time. Although maybe he can have some impact on that. He can't make Chambers or holding better one-on-one defenders, but he can give them instructions about not being caught with seven outfield players, eight yards with within eight yards of their goal, with a one-goal lead in the tie. And and again, we score a goal from that. And so it sounds like oh, you're just complaining for nothing. I'm not complaining for nothing because these are the situations we routinely find ourselves in. We do not manage situations. And I'll go back to the Monaco defeat in the Champions League. It's 2-0 Monaco, and we get a goal back. And what do we do the minute we get the goal back? We go racing into their half. We switch off to the danger. We just keep chasing, and they go get, what, a third goal, right? Yeah. And that kills the tie for us. And so... Clive, this manager seems to have lost the ability to either deliver the right message or get his message across, but how do you wind up in situations like this where where you can't just put your foot on the ball and have some control, where you have to constantly be this vulnerable in every game you play?
2: Right, so that's fantastic, right? So you've got me thinking then. It comes back to the Spurs games. When, when, when Arsenal go to a football match, we have a plan. So we may have a plan. We have one storyline. We may have a plan to, to 15 minutes at nil-nil. We have a plan to go one-nil up, and then if the game opens up, we counter-attack and we we pick people off because we're smart on the ball, right? But what with football now, you have to go into games with multiple plans. You have got three substitutions, you, so you got six or seven on the bench. Sorry, I can't remember six or seven on the bench, and basically. You can create multiple game scenarios, mm-hmm. multiple plans. At nil nil, at one nil down, at one nil up, and everybody should know what they are. At one nil up, certain subs should get up straight away. This we know it's my chance, because I know the game scenario that we planned before, at one nil up with 25 minutes ago, I'm coming on. You know? Or at one nil down the wingers and the forwards should be getting up because we know at 1-0 down, we're going to take this person off, take that person off, and we're going we're to add speed in one Whatever it may be. What Often I find with watching Arsenal, we have, we have one plan. Let's see how we start. Okay, we started okay. Okay, let's carry on playing that way and let's see how it goes. And if it goes well, we then react to that situation. If it goes badly... I'm not quite sure how I'm going to react, but hopefully, if it it's goes going badly, it's like
1: that GIF of what's his name who walks into the room with the pizza and everything's on fire. Have you seen that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. what it is. We are the we are the uh, embodiment of that
2: GIF. <laughs> it comes back to managing details and in-game scenarios, and I don't think he puts enough emphasis on this. And I speak to a guy on on Twitter. His name's Phil Simmons. Right, he's a very smart coach guy. And he keeps telling me it's all about the training. And I keep dismissing him, right? But I'm telling you, it's about the training. We are not detailed enough in training. There's not enough emphasis on game scenarios in training. You can see what the emphasis is with Arsenal. It's all on flow, receiving the ball, moving the ball. And when we move the ball quickly, we are a very nice team to watch. But when we don't, we haven't got anywhere else to go right, so and 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 it's I tell you phil you're he 's absolutely right, our in game management is poor, and our training details emphasis intensity is very poor we, and we we 're just not at the level anymore, and we have a manager that's just basically trying to survive he 's trying to keep people on side because he actually does not want to stop doing this job. And that's what's happening. And, you know, there was a good program on Sky last night. I haven't watched him. I caught like one minute of it. And Matthew Syed, the journalist for The Times, and he didn't want to say it because he knows that Wenger's an erudite man. He's well-respected by intelligent people. We know he's got a fantasticalistic view on football. And it's a bit of all of us that respect him and like him. But there's a lot more people starting to dislike him because he's now visibly holding us back.
1: He's just lost the edge. Um, He's not at the top level. I mean, what? here's what I don't understand. You you can say to these guys, go out, enjoy yourself. you got a 3-0 lead, fine. But here's what I want. Alex, listen. Um, if it gets to 1-0 to Ostrasoons in the first half, I want you to just play 10 yards further back, okay? I just want you to drop in a little deeper, get a little closer to Maitland-Niles, right? I mean, why can't... Or, El, you know, El Nani, listen. Uh, you can run around, cover the pitch, go box to box, but if they get an early goal, I want you to sit in five yards ahead of of Chambers and Holding and just protect that space a little bit. And we're going to be a little more compact and we'll, uh, we'll let Danny make the forward runs, but we'll just sit in a little and control the game for a while to make sure we don't get into trouble. I mean, could the instruction possibly have been, all right, here's the deal, guys. If we give up one goal, panic. But if we give up two goals, make sure we get everybody up into their penalty area, like everybody. Just get everybody into their penalty area. Let's try to create as much open grass for them to run into as possible. Like That can't be the instruction. But what I don't think is the instruction is anything, and that's the point. It's not that I think Arson is saying, hey, guys, when we go a goal down, panic. And then when we go two goal down, do the worst possible thing imaginable. I think his idea of training or his idea of coaching in the, do I think he he screamed at them in the dressing room? I think he did. Do I think he tried to motivate them to work harder? I think he did. Do I think he said, "All right, look. This is it. Muhammad, you're going to sit next to Shaka. You guys are going to sit 10 yards ahead of uh, of holding in Chambers, not going to move." Alex you're going to come a little more central Jack you're going to drop back into the midfield we're going to use Danny a little bit alone up on front we're going to get control of this game I don't think that happened now I have no idea maybe that's exactly what happened they didn't listen but Clive the the naivety we show it it surpasses players it surpasses lineups it surpasses game situations we don't manage in-game situations well enough to be an elite team
2: Management and coaching, mate. Management and coaching. You know, your half-time team talk was way softer than mine. I would have said, I'd have sat them down. I'd have said, okay, a number of you right now, your careers are right in the line. But you know what? Just imagine. Now I've said that out loud. Imagine what the players are thinking. They're looking up and thinking, you've got eighteen months of your contract left, and there's a good chance you're going to go in the summer. And you know what? I'm not listening to you anymore because I've got my contract and my agents were really looking at a summer move for me. You're not going to play me in a cup final. So, I don't really care anymore. Right? And four or five of them are thinking that. And that's how it goes. Right?
1: And, and I get that's but, but can I just stop sport. you for a second. I totally get that. But this is kind of my point, right? That's why I think saying, "Oh, your career's right on the line right now." All right, that can be motivational stuff if you're a manager who's who's got that leverage and has done the tactical work. But at a minimum, you would think that if he got out the chalkboard and drew some circles on it and said, this is the zone I want you to play in that, whether they respect his future or not, they can hear that and do that.
2: Right. Elliot. So this is how football goes, right? So Mourinho, right? So he was, he was a bit chippy of his players a little while ago. He wasn't, he was struggling to hold some of them. And then suddenly he signs a contract. So he signs a new contract. What's the first thing he does? He targets Paul Pogba. It's like, can I chin the biggest boy in the playground? If I chin him, everyone else will fall into line. So, Marina is now on a power play. Let me, let me show all of you what I can do to my ninety million pound midfielder. I don't I've think that's new... the right strategy, by the way. But yes, I see. Uh, what by I'm the saying. way, you see what I'm saying? It's HR yes. work, right? It's HR work. Um, I used to work in an in investment bank, and the guy, the CIO came in, and the first thing he did was fire the best MD. All the other MDs and directors, they were petrified. They thought if he can fire him, we're all in trouble. Right? So and that's what people do. That's that's management, that's leadership. And, that's and I get it.
1: I, I I totally get that. And I think there's an argument. But Venga yeah, but, but
2: Wenger can't do that. Everybody knows he's in departure lounge. Everybody within the club knows he's it's time for him to go. People are tired of him. There are people wanting to leave because of him. There are people wanting to join because of him. Let's not let's, let's give it a sure, bit of balance. absolutely. Let's give it a bit of balance. But if we're going to progress, and with all the changes happening in the background, there's a situation where there's a natural change coming. And my fear is it's going to be two years and not are not this summer because this it is so the right time now. If it wasn't the time. Last summer, I don't think we were ready for the change last summer. But it's so the right time now. And it's very important that it happens because the apathy of this season in the fan group won't be the same next season. I guarantee you that. And we're speculating about what he says and his team talk and things like that. Let's just breathe for a second. Let's just breathe. We, uh, We got through the time. We're three days away from a cup final. If that game was on a Tuesday, you might have had different motivations from the players. There were three, maybe two or three of those players are going to play in the cup final. They were looking after their legs. If anything, if there's any criticism, it's the players who who think they may have a chance. But do you want to know who the best selectors are? The players are the best selectors. They know if a manager's going to pick them. They know from the bib color they get in training. They know from the the type of handshake they get in training. They know by how they're spoken to. They know by the formation drills. They know by the pattern play. Every player in training knows how it's going to go. They know the moves. They know the rhythm of a dressing room, the hierarchy of a dressing room, and the best selectors of all other players Yeah, and so we sit there and we say well he might have a chance and he may have a chance but the players have already worked it out and they've worked it out they know what's coming with 3-0 up let me just go through the motions right and it's a sad thing to say but that's well, how it is. Saw
1: it. Yeah yeah no there's no debating that and, and I want to say a couple of things here first of all yes we could go ahead and win a cup final on Sunday and it's going to be a totally different 11 out there for the most part and you know nothing would surprise me Less than us losing to Ostrons on a Thursday and beating Manchester City on a on a Sunday. Although I, I don't think that that's the favored result or fav, you know most likely result. There's a few things here too, though, Clive. I mean, first of all, look, if that game had been one one until the 90th minute and they scored a screamer in the 90th minute and won it two one, I would I would not be complaining like this. I'd be saying, well. It's kind of embarrassing, but who cares? Who cares? Yep. The reason yep. I'm apoplectic is they got it to 2 0 early and they brought that tie back to life, and that was real jeopardy. And the fact that yep. we couldn't manage a 3 0 away lead against inferior opposition in such a way that we could make the home leg comfortable, we couldn't make the home leg against Ostersoons comfortable with a 3 0 away lead. That's management. Yep. That's coaching, and I think it's the granularity of the coaching, not the grandiosity of the coaching. If you understand the turn of phrase there, all right. I think I do. I, I do. I think that this is a manager who is not putting enough emphasis into the details, into the in-game approach details, into game state details, into positioning details. I think he is a great manager at making players feel like they enjoy their football and, and expressing themselves and sometimes he can coax the best out of players by letting them do what they do best but he does not give them enough of a detailed uh uh set of directions and i think young players more than anyone need strict carefully structured environments to yep. really develop because when things get out of their their control and beyond their expectation. Then their inexperience really costs them. And anyway, I mean, I could rant can and rave about I, this. Yeah, no, no. Come back. You, yeah. made,
2: a, you made a great point. Uh, I'm going to say something now to just um, pick it back off the back of that, right? So, if you go back to even to the Invincible days, right? You got a situation where we had some good players. They did, they they did their they did their thing. They played well. They was under the scrutiny, but it's nothing like the scrutiny what players have today, right? So. The, the pressure that players are under today from all angles with social media, from the 24-7 sky coverage or news coverage and media coverage from home and abroad. They can't go out because of, the, because of the mobile phone situations. And so they're under amazing pressure. And so the best coaches relieve that stress by giving teams structure, by giving them details, by giving taking the stress away, by being... By being horrible people, by the way. Some of the best managers are not very nice people, but they're big characters. And what they do is they attract the media themselves. They attract all the pressure into themselves to create a no-pressure environment for their players. So we debate our love for Mourinho and Klopp and, and Guardiola and, and, you know, all this and, and Conte. And what well, I they think are,
1: Mourinho's washed, personally, but yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. But what they are is that they attract attention. So they attract the media. And they are the leaders of the club. Right? So and we have our major who's a leader of the club, but what he does is he puts pressure on the players to be creative. He puts players pressure on the players to create the shapes mm-hmm. he puts players on the pressure on the players to be intelligent in different situations
1: and to salvage and- a situation when it goes wrong because they can't say oh the manager told me that if it goes wrong i'm just going to do this or or you know El going to come stand next to me for a few minutes and that's going to give me a partner to, to make these wall passes and then i'll be a little bit comfortable they don't have that so now they're yeah, thinking shit what do i
2: do exactly they're young men the quality of them is not maybe potentially not as high as we've used to in in previous years but we are not helping them we are not creating a situation where they can be comfortable so I'm looking at Callum Chambers and by the way I've seen Callum Chambers play against Manchester City and he played really really well when he felt confident in the situation he was in I've seen him have top games I've seen him recently I thought you know what you're not developing physically you're not very quick But let's let's just flip flip that coin for a little bit. If you were his parents, I'd be thinking, oh, my goodness, what are you doing to my son? You are not creating an environment where he can play. He doesn't know where to stand. He doesn't know what his job is. You know, it's obvious he's a right-sided centre-half in the back three at best. That's his best position. He's quoted that. And we're not giving him that situation to play. We're under incredible pressure. He's in big spaces on his own. And we're not looking after him. And so we've lost the player. We've spent £60 million a player, had him for two, three years, loaned him out for one, and we've lost him. That's bad management. <laughs>
1: you don't, you don't know? to sell me on it. That's <laughs> I mean, bad management. Just, that is yeah.
2: shocking management. Yeah. You've even got to work him out much quicker, create a situation where he can, he can thrive, where he can survive and play good football. And I go back to Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer is a terrible footballer. But he's in a system where he feels emboldened, where he knows his role, all his weaknesses are covered, and everybody else in that team respects the job that he does. He heads the ball out on the front post and corners, and he heads it in on the back post on offensive corners. If you break on him, he kicks you in your in your Achilles, and he gets the ball. If uh, A lot of the time, he doesn't want the ball, because he's, he's, he's not very good in semi-field, but when he gets it, he passes it back where it's come from, and he shifts his position. That's what he does. But he has a role. Yeah. And we I, are killing our players by not doing the same thing.
1: Look, I, I don't I don't disagree. I think we should we should, as you said, take a breath and, and let it and, and sort of breathe this game out now because there is a cup final. We did a preview of it in the previous pod, so we're not going to do it again. So in two minutes or less, at the absolute most, give me your thoughts on the AC Melandra.
2: Um well, there'll be no complacency, will there? And it's time for the top boys to come out, right? And and because if we don't, we're going we're going out. So I'm quite pleased because we've had some fairly average games, if, in almost, well, let's say fairly average, let's say below average games. So at least we're playing a, a great football club. It's going to be a, a good fixture. I think I've taken for granted some of the Champions League fixtures over the last few years, and I've really missed those sort of glamour ties, you know. I've been to the, I've been to Bayern, I've, you know, home and away, and I've, I've seen these games. I've been to Barcelona; they're fantastic games, and I don't, I miss them. I really miss them. I can't tell you what Champions League nights are when you're in a knockout tie at, at Arsenal. They, they are they are special nights, right? So, um, I want to get those back. You know, I've got no shame in saying I want those back, and this is the closest we're going to get in the short term. So, yeah. Expectation? Um, hey, it's Arsenal, right? I'll give it a four the other day. Mm-hmm. I I think we need this. And I think that maybe came out in some of the team decks from the other day. I think Wenger was petrified of losing that game. He needs it. I think the Europa League, sort of underplaying its importance. I saw a lot of fear on that pitch. I saw a lot of fear in the manager. And I think he's going to play his strongest team. And I think we'll get through. Uh, if we have um, maybe you know Lacazette like close to fitness, for example, I think yep. I think we'll get through just. so.
1: I think we should be able to get through. I think it's perfect for us in the sense that it's a big club that we will take seriously, but they're not very good. Um, I think Suso is their leading scorer in the league or something like that. I mean, they're they're not a hugely dangerous team for us. Having said that, anyone could be a hugely dangerous team for us right now. I think Lacazette coming back is the key to it as well because Danny Welbeck couldn't score in a. In a house of ill repute, uh, let's let's leave it there. Come on, Arsenal Cup final Sunday. Make this whole podcast something that we have to regret recording three days from now. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at clivepafc. Thank you, Clive
2: top man cheers me.
1: yeah same to you and uh, for all you ingrates an extra free pod this week and by the way ingrates please give us a five star review that would be brilliant we would love you for that write nasty things about Tim and Paul uh, my name's Elliot Smith you can block me on Twitter Yankee Gunner we'll be back after the cup final up the arsenal
4: mypatriotsupply.com